Well, hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you. Glad you're here. I love this. It's all about community, people chit-chatting and saying hello and giving hugs and high fives and just keep the hands above the waist, guys. Come on. Keep the hands up. This, this is championship weekend, NFC and AFC. Don't get too involved. Don't get, don't get, don't, don't get it wrong in here. We're going to talk about that today. But, hey, uh, <laughs> I want to remind you guys, if you haven't been here or if you've never filled one of these out, this is a connect card. It's in the seat back in front of you. So one of the reasons is we want to connect with you. We want to know how, what, one, what did the Lord, how did the Lord bring you to here to thrive? And what is it on your heart? Maybe a prayer that you might need. We have a team of people who not only pray over these, but will also follow up with you to see how can we help you on ramp? How can we pastor you along your spiritual journey that God has uniquely designed for you? Now, also, I'm going to ask a special request because we're coming out of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I also know when people are praying and fasting, one, often they're, they're praying for something. They're fasting for something or some things. And so what I would like to ask is maybe God has begun to put some things on your heart, and you may not even have known until this moment right here. He's been putting some things on your heart these last 21 days, and they have been a fresh thought or a fresh uh, feeling or, or, or idea. I would love for you to write those things down, one, for you, so that you can journal those and pray into those and allow God to continue to further those. This is called vision from the Lord. But also, if God has already answered some things that were on your heart, whether you were directly asking him or he just knows your heart and he started to answer some things that were in there that he was searching when, because you were seeking him and praying and fasting, would you write as a testimony those things on this card and bring, put those in so we could celebrate that testimony of what God is doing in your life? And if in the future, over this year, God begins to answer some of your prayers from this 21 days of prayer and fasting, would you write that on one of these Connect cards and say, man, I was praying. I didn't know that God would do this. I didn't even know if he was real, whatever it was. But I did it anyway because Thrive was praying and fasting for 21 days. I did it too. And God answered my prayer request. He answered my need. He answered my situation. Whatever it is, we want to celebrate with you. Lastly on that, if you think even, man, this is insignificant. Nobody wants to know. Let me tell you right now, your insignificant response that God has answered, your issue, your circumstance, or your question that he has answered is extremely significant when it comes to your specific spiritual journey with the Lord because God uses those moments of what you call is insignificant to show you that he is walking with you, he is answering prayers, he is opening up doors, he is, he is handling situations so that you will also real, real, have a realization that, wow, God really does answer prayers and you will begin to make history, this is called testimony, make history with God to then begin to learn to rely on him in all areas of your life, all right? You just got a big teaching right there, and I wish I had a, I probably have a series to break all that down, but that's what you get this morning, because we're in a different series right now. Connect card, seat back in front of you, fill it out, even when you don't feel like it. All right, uh, <laughs> so we're in our series, From Pain to Purpose, and this resonates with all of us, because just like in the life of Joseph, which we're reading in Genesis just like the life of Joseph, we all go through certain pains. We have pains from our present, pains from our past, and if you haven't, you will have pain in the future. And, and if not, you might be the pain in other people's lives. Uh, <laughs> um, that's for somebody in here, I think. Um, so anyway, 
So God takes us through through 10 tests, and he actually reveals this through the life of Joseph. This is what happens to all of his children, and he uses the life of Joseph to illustrate to us. These are 10 tests that we go through in life, and God never tests us to fail us. He tests us to prove us and to pass us and to accelerate us, to, to, to grow us and to develop us in the areas of life that he chooses in each season for the direction that he ultimately has for our lives. And this is good news. If you understand that God tests, he doesn't cause the pain, but he allows it hoping that his children would look to him, to seek him, to pursue him, to find him. And through these tests that have to do with pain, we begin to develop in character and we begin to find purpose because God begins to strengthen our character in him and it's no longer about us. So we talked about the pride test first. Nobody, nobody, nobody struggles with that, right? But I also told you in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, the first thing that is going to go is pride. Because when you start to need and you're desiring and you're wanting things that you're reserving yourself or restricting yourself from, all of a sudden you start to really need the Lord to sustain you in that area of life. And so the an only way to be sustained in that area of life is pride has to go away, humility has to come in, and you have to receive what you need in your time of need from the Lord. So that's, 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 the, that's the beauty of praying and fasting. And then... So pride test was the first, and then we go into the pit test. And a lot of times these intertwine, they'll mesh. There's, you're coming into a season, and another season is, is, is go, you're going into, and, and there's, there's a crossover. Because in the, in the pit test, you start to realize, man, I'm in, a, I, I'm in a, the, the pits. Like I'm, life is just stinks right now, and it, I'm tired of it stinking, and I'm tired of being stuck in this bowl of, 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 of just stuff of life that I've wallered in for so long, and you get to name the, the decades or the date or however long, but oftentimes it points back to some areas of pride in our life, so hopefully the, the, in the pit is all designed to say, okay, Lord, what, what is it in my life that needs to go away, that needs to change, that needs to be shaped, so I don't have to continue to live this life and a life like this, so pride and pit tests begin to cross over. And then when finally, when you start to, we start to humble ourselves and we come out of the pit, God begins to lift us out of the pit. And he says, oh, great, I'm so glad you passed that, that test this time because these tests cycle as we grow and God grows us in our purpose. And then it comes the palace test. And, and, and we're, we're learning how to lean on him and trust him because sometimes in the palace test, we're like, well, I've arrived. I finally got that job. I got that raise. I got that, that business. I got that whatever. I got that car. I got that girl. I got that dude. I got that... And that palace test starts to well up. Oh, gosh, back to the pride test. Here we go. And then probably to the pit test because, oh, I set my, my sights on that thing rather than him, God. And now here we go. So the palace test helps us to lean in and hear from the Lord and develop and then realize that it all comes from the Lord anyway. So I have no reason to be haughty and proud and arrogant and rude. So then God develops us right there. Here's the beauty, because God starts to say, okay, I'm not, this is a son and daughter that's starting to be trustworthy. His character's being shaped, and I think he's going to listen to the things that I'm asking him to do, because I, I want him to fulfill my, the will I have on his, his or her life. And then comes the purity test. Oh, Lord. Yeah, we're going to talk about the purity test today. And in Genesis 39, we had left off in verse 6 last week. And we're going to pick up in 7. If you don't remember in verse 6, it said, so Joseph had been, had been uh, taken by his brothers, put in a pit. Reuben said, no, let's don't put him in a pit. Let's take him out of the pit. Let's not harm him. Oh, look, 
there's some Ishmaelites coming. Let's sell him to them. And these are slave traders. They go to Egypt. They were on their way to Egypt. The Ishmaelites sell Joseph to Potiphar, who led, uh, led Egypt. And so Potiphar, Joseph was in Potiphar's house as a slave, and Potiphar began to realize, wow, there's somebody that's blessing everything that my servant Joseph puts his hands to. And so Potiphar would trust him with more and more and more. And Potiphar, to the point where Potiphar realized the Lord is blessing Joseph and everything that he does. And so Joseph has been entrusted with everything that belonged to Potiphar. And Scripture finished and said, and he was handsome and of great appearance. And so that finishes right there. And then we come into Genesis 39, 7. And it says, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. And she's not talking about telling lies, by the way. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He said, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. And he's speaking of Potiphar. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? And this is what Joseph knows, that it's not against Potiphar, though it would be, and sin against God. And sometimes this is where the trap comes. We get focused on people that we may begin to do something that's in our heart. And what we fail to understand is that God is always searching our heart and always watching. And so ultimately we're sinning against God. How can then I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But, jo- but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his works at work, and none of the men of the house was inside. Boy, you're talking about thick. She's been pretty much seducing him trying to get him to lie with her. And all of a sudden, there's no other men or anybody else around. Set up. Suspicious. <laughs> like, he didn't have enough sense to back out of that house the same way he came in and says, I think I'll stay outside or I'm going to go get some help. This is a unique woman that he's already been in the house with. So here he goes. Then sh- that she then she caught, I think it's it, then he, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, fled, and ran outside. Well, at least he got away. At least it came to his senses and just left. And so the first thing I think Joseph knew in this, I'm going to give you three things, and, and a fourth is kind of a, a resolve. I think he knew impurity affects your family. And, in, in for, and for example, we have the King David, who's the most famous king, uh, really, of all time. Solomon probably being second. Obviously, Jesus trumps them all. But in the Old Testament, and we see that King David, instead of going out to war in 2 Samuel 11, he stays in, and he sees a beautiful woman, and in his heart, he says, I have to have that woman. So he calls this woman into his room, and things escalate, and this attraction turned lust turns into sin. 
And what we see two chapters later in 2 Samuel 13, it doesn't stop there, even though David had repented, he had gone to sackcloth, he had fasted, he'd searched the Lord, sought the Lord. We see it show up, this same iniquity in his children's lives. In, verse, in chapter 13, we see that Absalom has a younger sister, Tamar, and then also a half-brother, probably many, many half-brothers and half-sisters, but a half-brother that was lo- lo- looked on Tamar with loving eyes. And it actually says in Scripture that he loved her, and it was his half-sister. He loved her, and he wanted to have her. In comes another half-brother, convincing uh, Abinadab, the brother, to say, oh, why don't you just act like you're, you're ill I'll, ha- I'll call her, tell her to come into your room to take care of you. And from there, Abinadab takes Tamar and does things he shouldn't have done. Not only did he break the Levitical laws of being with a half-sibling, but he just broke the law. He just broke the laws of immorality. And so you see iniquity in, in David's son's life, and this iniquity was in David's life. So you see how this, transpa- this, this transpired, and it continued through a generation. I'm giving you this for a reason. We'll make sure you grab that. Because here's the lie that you don't, here's the lie that Satan gives. Well, it's okay if you have it in your heart as long as you don't do it. It's okay if you think about it as long as you don't act upon it. As long as you don't cross the line and physically do it, you're fine. It, as long as you don't transgress it won't affect your family even though you're letting it in your mind and even though it was working in your heart as long as you don't cross that line everything's going to be okay but here's the problem what's in your mind and what's in your heart when it comes to iniquity and sin it begins to distort and thwart and confuse and and empower unhealthy decisions you get so caught up in this distortion of sin and iniquity and the longer you sit in that the more your decisions become confused and how you behave or act or decide uh, forward from there so here's the truth when the bible talks about sin it's an inward motivation and sin the transgression is an outward movement So something starts inside, and then once it's in long enough and decisions have been reconciled with that that transgression, it becomes an outward movement. What's in my, let me tell you this way, iniquity is the inward sin, and transgression is the outward movement. So transgression is like the word, we use the word trespass. I have a boundary, I have a property line, you have some property, whatever the case may be. And if someone crosses that property line, they're now trespassing. They're transgressing. And so the moment I act upon what is in my heart, the iniquity, I'm making a a transgression. And so this is the act of itself, is the the act of sin. But there's a word that we use of iniquity that actually means in the Hebrew, Avon, or it's translated Avon, from Avon, which means a bent. So if you've ever seen a tree and the trees are bent at the top in a windy area, it's the, the trees are bent in a certain direction naturally, and even when the wind stops, they don't, they don't stand straight up. You ever seen that? 
I have some of my property. Uh, and so this is Avon. This is called an iniquity. It means that there's so super spiritually there's an iniquity in my life, my family line, and I have a bent towards certain sins and certain certain temptations. Doesn't mean I have to act upon them. Let me tell you, there's always going to be a way out on all of this. But there's a bent. There's a tendency. And if I fall off a log and I'm exhausted and tired and, 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 and whatever else, then I might fall towards the area of iniquity in my life, in my family's life. So lust would be an iniquity. And adultery would be the transgression. The iniquity is in my heart, but the action then becomes a transgression. And many people live as if, as long as I don't transgress that boundary, I'm okay and it won't affect my family. Trick of Satan. But what you toy with in your heart and mind begin to distort those decisions and ultimately your life. And the Bible doesn't say that the transgressions of the father visit the third and fourth generations. It says the iniquities of the father visit the third and the fourth generation. So what that looks like is if my grandfather really had, had struggled with something and transgressed and caused an iniquity to be in his life... Well, then my, my father struggles with that. Doesn't mean that he has to commit to that sin or commit that sin, but it's a tendency that he wrestles with, has to become aware, with, aware of, and wrestle that down with Christ and bringing that to Jesus for healing. Now, because it visits the third and the fourth, here's what it means. That means it comes down to me also, even if my father never transgressed on that, but because he wrestled with that, it visits me. And God is saying, will this generation finally be the one who breaks this? And I don't, doesn't mean I have to act upon it, but I do need to be aware, ooh, there's a tendency there. And if I'm not careful, then that transgression, sorry, that iniquity can really rear its ugly head up. And if I act upon that, then I'm going to transgress this, cause this sin, and I'll continue it on in my family. Now, here's what happens. The fourth generation, I have little kids, and they're, they're growing up. Because I know what I've wrestled with and what my father has wrestled with and what my grandfather has wrestled with, I don't have to beat it out of my kids. I pastor them. I love them. I father them. And the mother mothers them through to help them condition them away from that. Do you see how that works? That's what a healthy family looks like in, in getting and in, in, uh, abolishing iniquities from their lives. Becoming aware Handling them and such, uh, handling them with the Lord, repenting, confessing, and bringing others alongside. But what's done in moderation in one generation is done in excess in the next generation. And what's in the heart of one generation becomes a part of the hands and the lifestyle of the next generation. So we have to be very careful to say, well, that next generation is lost because most likely it was in the heart of the generation that had become, came before the current gener generation. Are you hearing me? And the problem is the church hasn't understood how to handle iniquity and pastor through and come to the, come to cross, the cross of Christ and let these things go in finding freedom. This is why we are so adamant about these things. So if it's in your heart, it will affect your family. The moment you act upon it, you have to understand there is a spiritual law put into place that said, okay, this is going to pass, pass down to the next generation. And this is not a shame and a guilt. This is, not, this is an awareness so they're learning how to handle this and appropriate faith for overcoming these things. So iniquity is, an inward, is inward and a transgression is outward. But Isaiah 
says this, but he was wounded for that very thing. Those transgressions that he knew we would commit is what he went to the cross for. He was wounded for those, and he was bruised for our iniquities. Great, because we don't have to, we don't have to keep hold on to those things. We don't have to always struggle with those things. We don't have to continually wrestle with those things. And that's exactly what Satan would like for us to do until finally we give in to those things. So as disciples of Christ, we understand, no, wait, 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 this is a temptation, but Christ went to the cross for that. And so it's my role as, as a disciple in Christ and a follower of Christ. Ooh, when I see that stuff rear its little head up in me, i got to take that to Jesus. I need to confess. I need to repent. repent. I need to not let it bear fruit and take up, take up position in my life. Because that's what it will do. Because Satan will come in, plant a little seed, cause it to germinate a little bit, and then walk away for an opportune moment. Until an opportune time. When you're tired, you're, ta- you're, you're tapped out, you're anxious, you're, your marriage is not doing so well right now, all of a sudden, mm, opportune moment, let me water that thing over there. Five, ten, whatever years later is an opportune moment. So it has to be continually dealt with in the moment you recognize it with the Lord. Impurity affects your faith. Number two, I think Joseph knew this. Because you saw that he would say, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against the Lord? Many people in our generation now have an attitude, well, if we love each other and we're going to get married anyway, why don't we just have relations and live with each other? It's just a piece of paper. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do is focus on the piece of paper rather than what's happening in the relationship. And it's not a, you're right, it's not about a piece of paper, it's just a piece of paper. But it's not about a piece of paper, it's about the blessings and the favor of the Lord on a relationship so that it can get through and beyond the struggles and hardships of marriage with the Lord. When God tells us not to do something or how he requires it to be done, which is the blessing when we, when we come into union and marriage his way, there's a blessing upon it. When he tells us not to do something or how to do something, it's not because he's a prude and he doesn't want us to have any fun. In fact, it's the same whenever you have children and you tell them, hey, don't go play in the street. Get out of the street and play. It's not because you don't want them to play and have fun. It's because you want them to live a long life so that they can have more fun. And when he says, hey, don't do it that way, I'd rather you do it this way. It might be a little bit more difficult, but what I'm trying to get you to is to a lifestyle to where you're going to actually enjoy and have more fun because it has blessings on it. And so when, when God says flee sexual immorality, there's a reason. All sexual immorality opens the door to numerous sins. It opens the door to manipulation deception, lying, because the moment you do it, now you've got to build a story to protect it. Now you've got to hide it behind something. You've got to deceive somebody. You've got to manipulate someone or something or some situation. And in order to do that, you've got to lie. And all the while, you're lying to yourself. And you're trying to lie to God, but he already knows. You have to sneak around for any type of sexual immorality so you open up a door of deception and lying and it just starts to creep in David 
had to manipulate, deceive, and lie in order to commit a murder to, sex, to cover up his own sexual sin. So when you commit sexual sin, you deceive it, you deceive, and it affects your relationship not only with others but also with God. Can I just say, if, you, if any parents in the house, parents, 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 I'm a parent, I'm a parent. Can I just say, if you have a teenage daughter and she says, hey, I'm going to go out with my boyfriend and we're probably going to have some relations. Probably, you know, I'm, it's going to be, I'll be home early. Oh, you were, what you're not going to say is, I'll be back, out, be back by 10. And what she's not going to say is that. She's going to manipulate, she's going to deceive. And she's going to lie because there's lust, or he is, your son is, because there's lust in the heart that's driving the, amb the ambition is what it is. So you have to deceive, lie, and manipulate in order to get to that place. And the very same thing happens in marriages. When a man and, and a, or a woman goes looking for that initial stimulation and you find that person and, and boy, this is the one, and, and we're going to be together, and there's this dating season and getting to know each other season and having a, a, an emotional intimacy season. It's stimulating all those little touchy feelies and warm things on the inside, like, ooh, get the warm fuzzies when you're around and all that stuff. And I talk, we talk for hours. Ali said, you, you know, you said, we used to talk, talk for hours. <laughs> and now it's yes, bye, okay, yeah, I'll be there. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Text me. <laughs> Well, she's not wrong, but, <laughs> but you remember that early, and they're like, the, the challenge, the adventure, the going to get the beauty, of the, get the, the princess, and oh, he's a, he's a knight in shining armor, and he's coming after me, and he wants me, and I'm the only one, and, and then you, you know, you unite, and you get married, and you know, you consummate the marriage, which is great, and then you get, you, you're like, you're coming together, and you're doing life, and, and you're starting to make decisions together, you're going to get your first house, and all these things, and then all of a sudden, life becomes life, and the feelings go, start to dim, uh, d uh, disseminate and, and dissipate. And, and all of a sudden now I just don't feel the same. And it's like, oh, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm like, she doesn't love me the way she used to love me. He doesn't love me the way he used to love me. He doesn't do the same things anymore. He doesn't take me out. And, you know, she doesn't. He doesn't. The, the stimulation is gone. And then Satan, so opportune moment like, Brings in somebody at the workplace, and all of a sudden, ooh, she listens to me. She pays attention to me. She notices things on my jacket, and, and ooh, now you're dressing up, and you're looking at your jacket to see, you're looking yourself in the mirror, because you're not thinking about your wife, but you're thinking about somebody else who's going to see you later. And now, because that stimulation is what you're seeking and, and going after, now you're starting to do things for somebody who's not your spouse. Or she is, your wives are... Now, oh, I'm starting to confide. We're not doing well. We don't, we're not happy. He doesn't come home. He doesn't call me like he used to. He doesn't say sweet things. He doesn't send me flowers. And now she's confiding in some other man about the real intimacy of the relationship or lack of relationship. And that man's starting to say, oh, if, if I were your man, I would never stop doing Yeah, right. I would never stop doing that. And I would do this and I would do that. And the stimulation starts to come about. And, and now these two that were happy together and they loved it and they were lifelong partners and they were going to be forever and they held these big plans, they start to to separate and and the, the, the idea is this other person is going to fulfill all those needs because this is my true soulmate and this is the one I should have been with I missed out and now because we get the warm fuzzies and then you you do the things and you you, you break it off the marriage and you divorce and then you marry this other person and then life happens and then decisions have to be made and the, you have to buy a new house and all these things and you're going through all these situations and life gets busy and now it just doesn't feel the same he didn't call me like he said he was going to call me all the time he doesn't send me <laughs> 
Maybe that was the wrong one. And the cycle continues because of the lust and iniquity in the heart of mankind. Can I just tell you, we're not indifferent. We're not, we're not different from each other. We're human. There's a humanity. No matter how spiritual any of us are, there's still a humanity, human side, that if we don't watch it, that side will take over. Why, this is why love is not a feeling. It's a choice. And because of that choice and the investment and the hard work that comes with that choice, great, we get to have some feelings that come alongside that. And so James 1.14 says this, but each one is tempted. Does it say someone and some? No, it says each. You're an each. Is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Like you got your own, she got her own, I got my own, we got our own. We all got humanity inside of us. In fact, Scripture, James will also say that there's three areas that we all struggle. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It, all sin comes from those things. Same, thing, same three things are found in the garden, by the way. Anyway, verse 15, walk with me. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. You see the trail? Oh, there's a little bit of lust. Then it starts to conceive. Now it has sin, but gives birth to sin. And sin, when it ru- has run its course... Like, I've been thinking in my mind I'm getting away with it all this time, but it's really been training me and distorting how I'm going to make decisions, and it's starting to affect my heart. It's starting to affect my emotions. It's, it's changing my emotions. It's changing what I like. This is what sin does because it's toxic and it's poisonous, and it doesn't like the things that God likes, and God loves healthy marriages. He loves healthy relationships with all people. He loves these things, and this is what sin starts to do. Can I just tell you, when you start to realize and discern and understand what lust is, you and you recognize it it's not far until death comes along and deceit deception is right there with it well I just feel empty I just don't feel like I used to well yeah because you gave in the lust and you started to sin and it's conceived and it's changed who you are and now it's caused a sense of death on the inside because you're deceived you know, you know how to know when you're, no, you're not deceived? When you're no longer deceived. You ever try to talk to a deceived person and try to convince them that they're deceived? They ain't hearing it. Not me. Shoot. We'll be talking about somebody else. No, I'm talking about you. <laughs> faith, it ruins your faith. It impurity affects your family. It affects your faith. Number three, impurity affects your future. And here's a lie Joseph could have believed from Satan. And your brother sold you as a slave. Your daddy ain't even coming after you. What kind of daddy wouldn't come after you? And then your brother sold you. Oh, you're a slave now to Potiphar. Yeah, he's entrusted you to all these things. And yeah, you've taken care of it. You actually deserve all that stuff. Potiphar shouldn't have that stuff. You should have that. And you know what? You're going to be a slave anyway, so you might as well sleep with his wife. That, that's what Satan does. And in some way, he tries to convince you to do little things as well along the way. And me, little things along the way. And if I listen to it, it will give birth to sin. And then sin will give birth, will conceive and give, give life to death or give death. I'll come to death. Why? Because I'm deceived. So we have to be on top of this thing called lust because of what it does. Impurity. 
And it doesn't matter what you've come from, and it doesn't matter what's happened to you. The only person that can keep you from fulfilling your purpose is your character. You need a, you need a laughing moment, all right? So I'm just, it just kind of hit me in worship. I was thinking, wow, worship was so powerful, wasn't it? Jeez, I just got lost in the presence of the Holy Spirit in worship this morning. And for whatever reason... I was thinking, man, if people's lives aren't getting changed right now, uh, let me come back to that statement. I was in Israel in, in February, and we were going to uh, build an altar or, or add to an altar that um, Jack Hayford had started around Israel. He's a pastor who's gone on to be with the Lord. We were honoring the altars that he would travel to for like 40 years and, and pray for Israel. And one of the, so w- as a group, Everyone was to grab a, a stone, a rock, and come and put it on the altar, uh, and we would pray, you know, over Israel from that, sp- that space, pour oil on them or whatever. And uh, there was, someone had grabbed a piece of black stone and, it was, and put it on there. It was asphalt. And so I walk up, you know, how I think. I put a, a, I had a rock in my hand. I say, oh, that's your own asphalt. <laughs> And I would say that's the same answer for you if you didn't find healing in worship (laughs) today. (laughs) And all the religious people are burning with anger towards me right now. It's okay, I feel you. I can feel your eyes of hatred hitting me right now and I don't care. But this is also why we're so adamant and so passionate about people finding inner healing and freedom. When we call freedom, we're talking about wiping the the smudge off your life goggles so that your paradigm shifts. The smudge from yesteryear and yesterlife and maybe yesterday or maybe this morning on the way to church. Because life happens and it hurts and Satan is always right there to give a version, a narrative that that feeds into what he wants your destiny to look like rather than what God desires for your life. And if we're not careful, we'll feed off of that. Our relationships will be ruined. Our lives will be ruined until finally we pick up our bootstraps and say, I'm not going to listen to those lies anymore. So we're adamant about freedom and inner healing, but we're also adamant about you being baptized in the Holy Spirit because he's the one that leads us and guides us into all truth. He is our comforter. He is our counselor. And without that, without a counselor, without him, without being led and guided into all truth, how will we know the truth? The answer is we won't. And even more so because he is there to encourage us and to build us up and to remind us that we're sons, we're daughters, we're not who Satan says we are. Because he's there for that, that very thing, he's also there to empower us to overcome the sin. And without him, how will we be empowered? We won't. And that too is the same answer. That's your own. Uh, Number four, impurity (laughs) begins... In the eye. Begins in the eye. Matthew 5, 28 says, and you got to understand, Jesus comes in and he doesn't lower the standards with grace. 
he actually raises the standard and says, but there's grace. Then grace says, you're not going to die for that sin, but I am going to empower you to overcome that sin. And that's grace, but you're going to take, it's going to require you leaning into me and not continuing to do life your own way. So he says this, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her, oh, already? I didn't even do anything. Like before I had to transgress. Like I had to cross the line, but now just because it's in my heart, I've transgressed, Jesus would say yes. And that affects our decisions, our direction, our relationships, our lifestyles, our destiny, and fulfilling ultimately what God has for us. And it's so crafty of Satan to start to try to entice us in certain directions. And can I tell you, how do you know that there's lust in your heart about something or someone it starts to stimulate you in an unhealthy way. It starts to give you a passion and starts to shape your decisions and your focus and your attention towards that person or that thing or that lifestyle or that car or that house or that fill in the blank. I had a, I had a, a childhood pastor, grew up in church, stopped going about 13 or so, family issues and whatever. But in my pastor, I remember him saying, it's the second look that's the lust, that, that, that leads to lust. And man, he trained me to take a long first look. And I just, mm, wasn't sin. It's the second look that's sin. That's really funny. And I'm serious. But that's religion. These traditions of men to try to shape scripture to be something that actually says, oh, when you do that, you. Which is a religion always leads to judgment and guilt and shame. But here's what God's, here's God's version of it is. Would you just recognize that in your heart right now and, and come, come to me and confess and repent and I'll cleanse you of that? Can you just get that seed out of you right now? Notice he doesn't shame and condemn and, and, and say how terrible you are, how dare you. What he's saying is, listen, you just need to understand there's already some lust in your heart, and you've already committed the adultery. And more, more importantly, it's, it's adultery against God. So can we just get that out real quick so I can clean you up? Because that's God's desire is to just clean us up right there where we are in the situation that we're in and what we're dealing with. And I'm talking real time. Man, gosh, I did that again. Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I repent. And I confess, yes, I absolutely did that. Wasn't the second look, it was just too long of a first look, or whatever it is. And man, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit shows up and he just polishes that up and says, great, here we go, let's keep going. And in no time, and husbands and wives both, if, you're, if your spouse is struggling in an area of lust, and they come to you, and they're confessing to you, hey, I've really, I've got to tell you something, I've really been struggling with this or this person, or this thing, whatever it is. The worst thing you can do is condemn them, shame them, push them away, and reject them. The worst thing you can do and cause more division in your relationship. And that's the intimacy, because the most intimate thing in that scenario that can happen is that person actually coming to you with confession and repentance and a need for help and a revelation of here's what's going on with me, and I think this might be causing trouble in our marriage. Would you please forgive me and accept me? Though you're hurt, 
Though you may be angry with righteous anger and you should have time for forgiveness and healing, there's still a disciple of Christ that must be inside that says, I'm going to rise up above that, say, I forgive you. I'm going to continue to forgive you. And I'm here with you to do this life together. And I'm healing right now. And the other side of it is when you've come to your spouse and you have dumped on that load on them, you cannot demand a rapid forgiveness. You cannot demand a rapid healing. You cannot demand it in your own time. You are there to love the individual, drop the conversation, and just focus on bringing a healthy restoration to the relationship. You know why? Because that's exactly what Jesus does with you. He provides mercy in that time of need. He provides grace in that time of need. He provides love in that time of need. Yes, he provides truth in that time of need. But he's all about reconciliation and restoration. In fact, you know, sometimes we get so mad because that very thing's in our heart. Also, we just haven't transgressed. Or something is in our heart. And we haven't confessed. And we don't want to confess. And usually we're defensive over an area we've been manipulating, deceiving, and lying. We're hyper-defensive. So I would say check your heart if you become defensive. And you think, well, I've got nothing in my heart. Let's go back to the pride test. (laughs) Because scripture would say you do. Can I just level the field? So we all probably need a little bit of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And if you want forgiveness, then we give forgiveness. Psalms 101.3 says, I will not set anything, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. That means I've got to be a disciple and I'm going to choose not to look at YouTube and TikTok. But it's a twerking contest. I'm going to choose not to look at that. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. Those images struggle to go away. Proverbs 27, 20, hell and destruction are never full. Boy, isn't that the truth? So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Job 31, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Some of us probably just need to lay hands on your eyes this morning and say, I'm making a covenant with you that I will not look upon anything that will cause me to be lustful. Anything that will cause me to have desires and emotions and sensations that are outside of what belongs to my spouse. And if you struggle with this test, it may be appropriate for you to get open and honest with someone. Don't tell everyone, but you need to tell someone. Because scripture says we come to God for forgiveness and we go to people, to others for healing. So I need somebody who's there who knows my junk and is going to hold me accountable, not in a rude and a hateful way, but a, hey, brother, I'm walking this thing out with you. How are you doing in this area right now? Until the point where it's no longer a part of your mind's identity of who you are, but rather the clean and the, the healed and the developed person is the one who you really are. And you'll, you'll start to realize there's a spiritual blessing that's released when you just start to confess, not only to God, but to someone else who is trustworthy, who will have confidence, and who will not run and tell anybody or everybody what you have unloaded on them. That's why we're so adamant about freedom, about about tribes, about getting into small groups and realizing once you take the mask off, you got the same junk they got and they have the same junk you have. There's just little nuances and details to your life that vary one from another. That's it. 
So God will always give you, though, as many chances to repent. He'll never stop trying to pass you. He'll never stop trying to prove you. And here's what's happened. Here's the, here's the secret. Here's what the deception is. The moment you start to recognize those things that it calls lust in our heart, the impurity, and you start to call them out and handle those things with the Lord, then God says, yes, I'm so glad my son or daughter finally overcame that at this level. Now I can pour out the blessing on them because their character can hold and sustain this because they're relying on me and their heart has become trustworthy. They have integrity now in this area. Now I can give them the blessing that this test was all, in, all about and the adversity that came along with it to keep them from. That was really good. So I want to pray for you this morning. Calling it quits. But I want to, I want you to stand up. Just stand up, stand up, stand up. I'm going to say it again. There is a blessing that is being protected. And you cannot see that blessing. But it's a version of a better version of what you've desired, what God has in your account, what you've prayed for. And right now, according to this test, the only thing that's in the way of you being receiving, you receiving that blessing, is the impure thing that God is trying to remove from your heart through humility, confession, and repentance. And in a moment, God will begin to open your eyes and your heart to be able to walk that thing out. So, Father, I pray, I pray right now that people will choose to make covenants with their eyes, choose to recognize those moments of stimulation in their hearts that are leading them astray, choose to call out their own deception, choose to realize, oh, that's their asphalt. But God heals, and just in his presence, he restores. And just in a moment, he can shift gears, he can shift minds. And I'm telling you, if you believe that today, right now, I believe God is healing hearts, and he's healing souls, and he's healing emotions. In fact, he's healing you in such a way you may not even recognize your emotions and your thought that coming out of this service. But it's giving you the strength and the boldness and the courage to go and have those conversations that are outside of your normal character. But because your spirit man inside knows that that's what's best for you. And he's calling you into this and through this adversity so he can unload the blessings that he has for you. I, I really feel that in this room today. And I feel like if God is going to do it, then why would I stand in the way of what he wants to do? So, Father, I pray for that for every person who will be so bold as to seek you and find you and search for you and listen to you and, and and hear you and act upon whatever it is that you're saying next for their lives, for their family's lives, for their future, and for the development of their faith. And I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.